new CBS Monday. Federal agents! Here's where we can see them. NCIS Hawaii is back. New criminals to catch. Armed robbery, aggravated assault, murder. And new investigations to be solved. These guys were good, but even masters make mistakes. Vanessa Lachey and featuring LL Cool J. Violent Island, we got here. Welcome to paradise. A new NCIS Hawaii, Monday, 10, 9 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome into the Austin Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And for today's episode, we've kind of teased it in the last two, but we finally found time to devote an entire episode to Oregon football recruiting on the defensive side of the football for the class of 2021. So we're going to dive into the needs, the wants, uh, the targets, the thoughts of this side of the football from an Oregon football recruiting perspective in the class of 2021 today. Before we do that, I want to remind you guys, you can subscribe today for as low as $1 for your first month and then $9.95 thereafter, or you can save over $3 uh, per month by signing up for an annual membership. It's a one-time payment of $75.18, but you save $3 per month against the month-to-month price. So inside scoop, expert analysis, read all the content across the 24-7 Sports Network, access to insiders like Eric, Kevin Wade, myself on the site. All right, Eric, uh, we did the offense about a week and a half ago. We're going to now do the defense. And this is a recruiting class in 2021. Let's, let's, let's reset the thing here for a second. We're going to have six verbal commitments total for the class of 2021. And defensively, they have Two guys. They have Keith Brown, a four-star inside linebacker who's the fourth best player at his position in the country. He's also the number one player in the state of Oregon. He plays his prep football at Lebanon, Oregon, uh, Lebanon High School. That I believe is a 5A school, so second, le- second highest level in the state. Uh, they also have most recently a verbal commitment from three-star defensive end Terrell Tillman out of Mansfield Timberview High School in Arlington, Texas. He's a six foot four, two hundred and ten pound prospect, three star rating, thirty-ninth best defensive end in the country, and the seventy-sixth best player in the state of Texas. There's a lot to get to here. Um and we're gonna break this into two parts. First we're gonna look at Oregon's kind of needs and then how we can fill those needs the second half of the show. And so going in right now, Eric, um, this defense is stacked for the, for the 2020 football season. And I, I think you look at the depth chart and at every position, there feels like a future NFL player. And that's kind of crazy to say, even especially at linebacker when – I feel like that's maybe the most unproven group. There's really one, only one guy, Isaac Slade, uh, that's a bona fide proven player. Everyone else has some question marks or some youth to their name. But I still feel like there's some guys that we can safely say will be NFL players barring injury. Uh, I think Isaac Slade, first and foremost, is an NFL player. But I think Noah Sewell or Justin Flo, Mace Funa, Adrian Jackson, I mean, there's there's a lot of names that have good good potential to make in the NFL. And then there's just 
a bunch of wild cards that could also develop over the next couple of seasons and get there as well. Secondary is loaded as, as we all know. The defensive line is loaded as we all know. Um, so looking at this group as a whole, where, where do you, are, are there areas that, that need to get shore up? Uh, are there any concerns that you have from focusing on the defense every day in practice, watching them, analyzing them? Is there any upcoming issues that you could see that need to be filled the next class or two? And I think one thing to start with is it, it's worth noting that it's kind of hard to assess the totality of this defense because the freshman class largely hasn't been here. Uh, and so there are players that we don't really know how they'll fit into this this team and what that'll make for the future. I know we mentioned on the podcast before, but uh, there are players in this class that, that aren't enrolled that we're really high on and that we think can become really good players. But it's a kind of a matter of what they actually show when they get here. So that kind of adds a little bit of a difficulty in terms of analyzing some of these needs. But I look at the offensive line, and I still – I know Popo Amave came along, but he'll be Defense a senior. Yes, yes, offensive line, defensive line. I know Popo Amave has come along. I know he'll be a good fill-in for Jordan Scott in 2021. But I look at that position as one where there isn't a clear person after Popo. There's a bunch of redshirt freshmen. There are uh, incoming recruits. There are – you know, players that from the, like I said, from that 2020 class that will be joining this roster as well that will kind of help build that. But there isn't that clear go-to guy. And I think if Oregon could go land somebody who would fill uh, an interior nose tackle, defensive tackle, tackle spot really well, that would certainly be uh, a spot to fill. I think if you want to move back down to linebacker, I think you still want to feel a little bit more uh, certainty about what you have on the inside. And I know we think really highly of these incoming freshmen, but we haven't seen them yet. And we don't know exactly how this is going to, that's going to play out either. So I think an inside linebacker or two, and, and that's also true because Isaac Slade, like we said, is a junior in 2020, but by 2021, um, he'll be graduated. Drew Mathis and Samson New um, are two seniors on this roster who play inside. I think you could, certainly that's a place that you want to address. And then in the secondary, you lose so much. I mean, there are four senior returning starters with Graham and Lenore on the outside at corner and Breeze and Pickett at safety that it makes it clear that you have to find some replacements going forward. And, th- and there is obviously, and I think that's the position you feel best about what's on the roster currently because you look at a Mikhail Wright and you feel like, okay, he's going to be a really, really capable player and he's basically a borderline starter as it is. And you've got a Verone McKinley who you feel similar about, who's currently kind of listed behind Breeze, but we're not sure um, how that's going to play out. He still has a chance to win that starting job over a Nick Pickett. We have a Bennett Williams who is also highly capable. So there are these players on the roster, but I think you still have to address those positions because there is so many seniors in this class. So um, I think nose tackle, some inside linebackers, and then in the secondary, you just kind of have to address the whole group because you're losing so much. Um, and so much veteran leadership, and I think that's something that's going to be uh, important to replace over time. The defensive tackle position, I, I I would feel I think that, and it's nothing against Popo, but if right. he was gonna if he was going into his sophomore year in 2020 and not his junior year in 2020, I think the outlook would look considerably better because, um, I I I believe Popo Mabe is a guy that could start at Oregon in 2020 and Oregon's defense be just as good as they were in 2019 if Jordan Scott had gone pro up front. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I think Omave has certainly developed a ton over the last 
six to 18 months under defensive line coach Joe Salavea to the point where the drop off between Jordan Scott and Popo is very minimal. Um, there were, there were parts of the second half of the season in which Popo was the better player at defensive tackle than Jordan Scott was. Um, and I think if you're an Oregon fan, that should speak volumes to you because of how revered Jordan Scott is. And, but I, I think the issue is, is that Jordan Scott graduates, you only get one year with Popo. And right. if, if you had as the starter, if you had two years with him, I think that outlook on, at the defensive tackle position, nose tackle position would be significantly better because then you would say, well, we've got plenty of time to develop Christian Williams or Keon Ware Hudson or Brandon Dorless, uh, or Jason Jones. And, and there's not that immediate rush to, to find a backup for Popo immediately because you know you've got two years to find his replacement. And I think that's in part why I look at players on this defense that are going to be the most difficult to replace. And, and Jordan Scott, for me, is right near the top of it. Um, and, and at that whole position, that whole nose tackle position, Jordan and Popo over the next couple of years, I think that's one where there just isn't a clear next in line after those two. And so you've got a bridge year in 2020 and 21 where you've got clear – you know who you're, you know who it's going to be, and it's time to basically be de- developing depth behind them to be that next guy. And I think there's not really clarity on who that's going to be, but that's I think one of the fun things about how this plays out is Popo. We didn't think all that highly of. We didn't know what he could be at times starting his sophomore season, and yet now here we are saying what we're saying. It's not inconceivable at all that there's a player on this roster that we're sleeping on, or we just don't know yet what they provide. Who could by the time it's that job opens up in 2022? It could be perfectly ready to set and take that job, or even somebody who maybe could challenge Popo for that starting job in 2021. You know, maybe there's that development as well. So there's certainly talent there, but I think that's a spot you you, you certainly look at and go, that's going to be a tough one to replace long term. Yeah, it's it's never good when you have to replace a back a starter and his backup over a two year period. Um, that makes it very difficult. You want to have at least a three year window between those two players. Where they're, you know, where one of them is still on the roster, ideally. Um, but nonetheless, like you said, you know, we, we weren't this high on Popo at this point last season and, no. and maybe someone emerges as that third defensive tackle during the 2020 football season that we just don't know about because quite honestly, we haven't played the games yet. And that's, <laughs> that's the most important part. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. But, Five toughest players. You mentioned Jordan Scott being number one. Let's start there. Why is Jordan Scott your toughest player to replace and and from the 2020 team? Uh, because a lot of what I said a second ago, I, I, I look at that position and I go, we think really highly of Popo, but there's not another player who fits that body type mold right now who really we really know much about. And you know, Brandon Norless, I think played a little bit. On the inside last year, I think there's a chance he plays a little bit more outside, kind of filling in behind Austin Value because Oregon lost a lot of depth there with Drayton Carlberg um, and a couple of other guys that graduated last year. Uh, so maybe that makes sense for him. But I just I just look at this group and I go, is it Christian Williams? Is it Keon Ware-Hudson? Is it Suave Poti? Is it Brandon Dorless? Is it Jake Shipley? Is it a player who hasn't even enrolled yet? A Jason Jones, like you mentioned? Um, is it somebody... You know, you're talking about 2022. Is it somebody who's not even committed to Oregon right now and who could be part of the 2021 class? There just isn't a lot of clarity. So, uh, and the fact that he's a three-year starter who's meant a lot to this program, um, he's and he's a different type of player with his body type. I, I just think he's tough to replace, and so that's why he's my top guy. 
Now, who are the other four guys? It doesn't have to be in order, but just who would be the other four guys that you have that that are that make up the top five? I think my number two was Javon, and honestly, Javon Holland and Jordan Scott were kind of in almost a lockstep for me because I look at Javon and feel similar about there just isn't a clear nickel cornerback on the roster who's the direct successor. I know we like the idea of Jamal Hill. He looked great at times during fall camp last year, but the reality is when the games were played, he appeared in a lot of them, but they were almost exclusively on special teams. He didn't get a lot of rep reps. And so I don't necessarily know who the direct line after Holland is. We, I think it's Hill. That'd be my best guess. But it could be other players on the roster who are currently playing other positions. Um, maybe there are players at safety of Verone McKinley who could move back there. We know he has experience playing there. That's where he started um, his season last year during fall camp. He then moved over to safety when Holland took over at nickel. So there's that possibility. There's a Steve Stevens on the roster who I think we both agree is, is a talented prospect that hasn't really had his chance. Maybe that's a fit for him. But kind of like Scott at nose tackle, there just isn't a real clear replacement. And then the guys, the next one after that, uh, for me is Kayvon Thibodeau. And we're now looking ahead a little bit because he's only played one season at Oregon. It's uncle- it's it's very evident he's probably the most talented player on this defense. If you didn't have Penny Sue on the roster, you'd say the whole team probably. Um, he's going to be very difficult to replace. And you look at the roster and there's not a clear player who plays that position. Maybe a Braden Swinson fits in there. Um, maybe somebody else uh, who's already on the roster, uh, Brandon Dorless, but that edge rusher, I think it, there's not a clear replacement in line right now. And of course, that's not a terrible thing in the short term because Kayvon's only entering his second season uh, in 2020. So there's a lot of time to develop that. But I think that's a player that you have to know on this roster who'll be gone in the next couple of years that will be difficult to replace. And then my last two are just the senior corners. I think, I know it's, there are players in line to replace these players, but Thomas Graham will be a four-year starter. He provides a ton of veteran leadership. I think anytime you speak with him during interviews, that really stands out. Um, his, his ability to be a team guy, to lead a locker room, those are things you'll, that'll be missed. And Lenore's, I think, a really talented corner who, although he's only going to start three seasons at Oregon, will, will be one of the more, more appreciated, I think, defensive backs Oregon has had. Um, certainly in the Mario Cristobal era and, and probably even going back to, you know, the, the last five or so years. So those two players in the secondary, I know that there are players that we think can replace them. I think Mikhail Wright's going to replace one of those guys without question. I think um, obviously Oregon went out uh, inside Dante Manning, another highly, highly regarded corner, the most highly regarded Oregon's ever signed. Um, and, and there's expectations he'll step in there. But um, it, those two guys are going to be tough to replace regardless of who it is because they've meant so much to this program over so many years. Lenore is uber talented, and I, I think he maybe as a junior kind of started to play out from a career standpoint of what everyone was expecting of him coming into the program. Because um, remember, he was the higher rated guy than Thomas Graham was, yeah. if I remember correctly. Was. Um, and both those guys have, are going to leave Oregon as you know probably some of the better corners that Oregon has seen over the last ten or fifteen years. At that position, um, certainly will be tough to miss. And I, I agree with you with your leadership comment about Thomas Graham. He he does so much behind the scenes. I I don't know if people truly understand or, or take you know they maybe they take for granted of just his his calming impact that he has uh, in the secondary for Oregon. The last couple of seasons will be missed as well. But like you noted, it's. It's not necessarily like, a, in my opinion, a talent issue. It's more of an experience issue. Exactly. That yeah. that Oregon will be having to replace because the guys behind them are uber talented as well. 
I mean, there's a problem. There's a high probability in my mind that both Mikhail Wright and Dante Manning are higher NFL draft picks than what Thomas Graham and Diamande Lenore will be when they go pro after the season. So there is certainly not a talent question. It's a continuity and experience question. It's a what these guys have meant to the program. These are two players that have been. And I don't know if this gets overlooked, but these are two players that have been really crucial to this transition period from the Willie Taggart era to the Mario Cristobal era and for going from a program that was not very competitive to being one that is competing for Pac-12, competing and winning Pac-12 championships. So, I mean, you think about what Jordan Scott and Thomas Graham and Diamond Lenore mean from that recruiting class that has really built this program out. And I just think those three guys are, are really, really valuable. Um, for everything they've meant for this program. The fact that with Scott and Graham, they're going to be four-year starters. They started as true freshmen. You don't see a lot of players like that. And having a player on your roster who's a four-year starter, um, almost regardless of position, that's a really good thing because that player in the line of duty when you're in the middle of a, you know, the heated competition, he can be that stabling force because he's been here enough. And, and that's something that they'll lose as well with those two. I'm going to put you on the spot real quick before we take oh, yeah. a break. Um Who's a player in two years or in three years that we're going to be talking about as one of the five toughest or, you know, potential toughest players to replace? I want you to project out who could be a guy that we have no data to suggest. And I'm going to eliminate Justin Flo and Noah Sewell and Dante Manning because we kind of feel like we already have that. Like they're five stars, some of the greatest players that we're going to sign to their positions. Sleepers, if you will. Who's a guy that you feel like could develop into a really good player in the next three, you know, two or three football seasons. Well, you kind of took away the two easy choices there, Matt, I must say. Um, I think two, two names came to my mind right ahead, right away, and they're guys that aren't enrolled yet. Um, I've always felt Jackson LeDuc was a player that was undervalued and underrated in terms of his recruiting. You, you go watch his tape, and he is, I think, a super high upside player. Um, it'll be interesting to see where they play him in Oregon. He's listed outside linebacker as a recruit. Um, there's going to be options, I think, more on the outside than on the inside going forward if we're as confident as we are with what Noah Sewell and Justin Flo are, and those that's where those two are placed. So I think he's a player that I have my eye on for that development. And then I think Masiel Afesi, the defensive lineman from Hawaii, has potential to be either a great interior guy or a great edge guy, and he's not going to be Kayvon Thibodeau. He doesn't have that burst of athleticism. Um, and frankly, you're not going to find many of those guys out there in the country, and that's why he was considered the top recruit naturally in his class. But I, I look at Avesi, and I think he's somebody who has the versatility to potentially be a really strong strong side defensive end. He could build up and, and grow some more and become an, an interior nose tackle. Maybe he's that solution that we're talking about here for Jordan Scott and Popo Amave long term. Maybe he's the guy. I, I've just been really high on him. I know people really liked what they saw from him at the Poly Bowl. Um, and he's kind of one of those guys that over the course of the last four months of that cycle felt like he went from being, uh, I don't want to say he was an afterthought, but he wasn't somebody that we thought of so prominently to being a player that 24-7 at least considered a, a four-star recruit. I'm going to provide two names at two different spots, so four names total. Um, I, I think at the linebacker position, Isaac Townsend or Trevin Maiai, one of those guys is going to develop into a really good player off the edge for Oregon football. Um I don't know who. I just I have a feeling one of those two guys will be really good for Oregon at the next level. And then another position in the secondary, I think Jamal Hill or Triquez Bridges, one of those two players, they will become one of the next star defensive backs for Oregon over the next two or three seasons once the current crop kind of 
moves on to the NFL. And yeah, I think all of them are going to be at some level playing on an NFL roster. Um, I, so keep tabs on Jamal Hill, keep tabs on Trekwes Bridges and Trevin May and Isaac Townsend from my perspective. Any, any concerns with those? No, I like those picks. I do. And, uh, I've been pretty high on what my and Townsend can be as well. I think the body changes that both of those guys made, um, is significant. And it was probably one of the bigger storylines of what was a very abbreviated short camp was just that you looked at those two guys and when they were true freshmen in the fall, they didn't look physically ready to be there, um, or, and to compete. And that's in part why they didn't, in part why they redshirted. But now you look at them and they both have that look of being capable, ready. And I think, both have the athletic traits. They have the size and, and, and skill set. Now it's a matter of developing the, you know, the totality of the football player. Um, and Jamal Hill's been a player I've been very excited about since last fall because he really, I think, turned some eyes. He's a big. He's athletic. He's strong. He's, um, you know, if he puts it all together, he could be a very unique sort of nickel. It could be a different kind of nickel than even what Javon Holland is. I'm not saying he'd be better, but he could provide some different things there as a. Uh, as a ball hawk, but as also as somebody who can be an enforcer at that position. So uh, I, I, I co-sign basically all of what you said. I think Triquez is the really in, in, intriguing one, but there's, I think, to me, a little less confidence that he's going to get there just because he's moved between positions now. It could work out really, really well. It could also be something where he just doesn't ever get it together. All right, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Spring training is in full swing and fantasy baseball draft season is upon us. That means you need to join us on Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every Monday through Saturday for six pods per week throughout the month of March. We'll break down the latest news, spring training updates, players to target, and much more in just five minutes. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. New CBS Monday. NCIS is back. We need all hands on deck. So grab your gear. NCIS! And join our elite team. What are the charges? Murder. New cases to be solved. Double tap to the chest. Same caliber as the murder weapon. And new criminals to catch. That's the bomb maker. Where's the bomb? A new NCIS. Monday, 9, 8 central. On CBS. And streaming on Paramount+. Plus. All right, welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Frame. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And we kind of addressed some of the needs or, you know, kind of the current state of Oregon football's defensive side and kind of where things will be impacted recruiting because of that. Um, now let's dive into the names and the players and the most important guys that we need to get to and um, we've got a couple of, a couple of those things that hammer out here. Yeah, let's run it through by position group, Matt. Um, let's start on the defensive line, and, and I don't know if you want to give three interior guys and three edge guys, or if you just want to give three total defensive linemen, but who are three names that Oregon fans who are listening should know that are defensive linemen in the 2021 class? Yeah, I, I picked three just pure defensive linemen. I, I didn't want to go through both positions because, quite honestly, I don't think there are realistic options right now at the defensive tackle spot outside of maybe a couple guys, and I wouldn't put them higher than the three defensive ends that I have, that I have placed. Um, I, I think, first and foremost, there's four guys 
you have to recruit Corey Foreman, the number one player in the country, until he tells you not to. You have to recruit JT Tuamalu, the number two defensive, uh, number two player in the country, who's also the number two defensive end in the country, strong side, uh, behind Foreman. You have to recruit both of those players until they eliminate you. Doesn't matter how slim of chances you have of grabbing them. I don't think Corey Foreman, as of today, signs with Oregon, probably USC. I don't think uh, JT2 signs with Oregon as of today, probably Ohio State. But both of those guys are in your recruiting region, Foreman from California, Tui from Washington. Uh, you have to recruit those players until the very end. Now, two other guys that I would keep tabs on, First and foremost, uh, Keanu Williams from Clovis, California, four-star defensive end, six foot five, two ninety. Reason I like Keanu is because he's high on Oregon. Oregon's high on him, and he brings versatility to the position. He's six foot five, two hundred ninety pounds. Uh, can play defensive end on the strong side. Can play defensive tackle if it's a passing situation, has the ability to continue to grow into a, a true traditional defensive tackle as well. And then Zakwai Lawton, uh, defensive end from uh, Charleston, West Virginia, he recently put Oregon into his top group. I think the Ducks are in a really good spot here with him. Three-star player, six foot three, two forty, kind of a hybrid strong side, weak side defensive end. Gives you a little bit of versatility on that end. So Keanu is the guy that can play out to in, and Lawton is the guy that can play either side of the defensive line. Um, There are other other names out there. I mean, Oregon recently just picked up a Terrell Tillman, like we said at the beginning of this podcast, three-star defensive end. Yeah, three-star defensive end. He's kind of your elite pass rush type guy. You know, I I would think Keanu Coate is another guy from Florida, a four-star DN that's high on Oregon and, um, has given some some strong praise to the Ducks there. Uh, Jabari Ishmael, another one that's talked about Oregon. George Wilson, another you know three star guy. Uh, we know awesome Booker from Indiana is high on Oregon, but I think Oregon taking Terrell Tillman at weak side defensive end, kind of that pass rushing specialist. I think that tells you a little bit about where you know they're willing to take a guy that's going to develop over the next cu- couple of seasons into more than just a pass rusher. Don't know if they're really going to take anybody else above him uh, unless, you know, some five-star just happens to to emerge or some superstar must take emerges at defensive line. What's the range of the number of defensive line signees you think would be, I guess, effective for Oregon in this class? Obviously, Tillman's committed, and we're going to assume he's going to sign with Oregon, but how many additions past Tillman do you think they kind of need or, or, or that is, yeah, I guess required in this class to, to kind of get everything you need out of it. I, I think three, maybe four defensive linemen tops because they only have two seniors on, on roster, on scholarship at defensive line. Austin Folio and Jordan Scott. Kayvon Thibodeau is a sophomore. He will be gone after his junior year, potentially even as the number one draft pick. So you kind of have to start planning to replace him because it's a two-year recruiting for football is always kind of like a two-year window type of deal like can you find a guy that can help you now and can you find a guy that can help you in two years and so in two years Kayvon Thibodeau will be gone um, I don't know if you can say that about anybody else on the roster outside of Popo because he's a junior um, Brandon Dorless maybe emerges you know maybe some guy pops up and 
turns into a, a, a three-year pro, a three-and-gone three and type guy. But for now, you really can't look at anybody out there and say, outside of Kayvon every, and, and Popo that are underclassmen, everyone else should be back. So there's not going to be a huge need to go out and sign a, a large class unless the coaches just don't like the trajectory of the position and need to overhaul it. All right, let's move back a level to linebacker. I asked you for three defensive linemen. You gave me four, so I'm not going to provide a limitation <laughs> for how, how many names you give me here. But who, who, just who are some names at linebacker that, that you think Oregon fans should know? You already mentioned, uh, obviously, Keith Brown, uh, the commitment from Lebanon. But maybe run through some other guys that, that Oregon fans should know about right now. Yeah, I, I have three names on this one. Defensive line was just unique because the two top players in the country are defensive ends. I'm happy um, you're starting to play by the rules, Matt. Thank you for playing by the rules. <laughs> Um, we, we know Keith Brown's already committed to Oregon, so that's one, that's one guy. I'm not going to include him in the list though. Um, Jonathan Flo, a four, a four-star linebacker, outside linebacker from Upland, California. Yes, he's the younger brother of Justin Flo. High on Oregon. Oregon took a lot of inside linebacker type guys last class. They need to add some outside linebackers in this class. Jonathan Flo fits that mentality. He can play inside and he can play outside. So I, I think that's one right there that you need to look at. Brandon Buckner is a three-star player, um, less re- less highly regarded than, than the other guys on this list, but a player that's bounced between defensive end, outside linebacker, has a ton of versatility, kind of flown under the radar a little bit. Uh, he actually has a younger, or not a younger, but he actually has um, a relative on Oregon's roster for the 2020 football season. And that would be uh, defensive end uh, Jalen Smith, or defensive tackle, excuse me, Jalen Smith. That's his cousin. Um, you know, So Brandon Buckner is, is a player that's got some connection to Oregon. He's talented. He plays out of Chandler, Arizona, Chandler High School, I think if he were to commit today, it would be to Oregon. Um, this is a, a guy that's going to be giving Oregon a ton of versatility. And then the last guy that I would I would come out here and say is that this is going to be one that Duck fans really haven't heard a ton of. We'll have a story up later uh, this week on him. But Yanni Carliftis, he is a four-star outside linebacker from West Lafayette, Indiana. His older brother plays at Purdue, so it's going to be a little tough to get him away from Purdue. Wisconsin's another school that's in his top four, but the Ducks are there along with Cal. It's Cal, Oregon, Purdue, and Wisconsin. He's probably going to decide prior to his senior season starting or early on in his senior year. He's kind of said that he's kind of focused on these four schools. Um, he know, he mentioned that you know, his brother's at Purdue, but that's not going to impact him. Uh, he really likes the, the relationship he has with Oregon's coaches and Andy Avalos has done a really good job in, in recruiting him and this is a guy that's got a ton of potential. He's a long athlete. He's six foot three, six foot four ish. Um, so that, that Yanni would be Car, Carla Liftis. It's a hard name pr- to pronounce, but that would be the guy, fourth guy, that would be the third guy that I would, uh, I, I would include in this group. Same follow-up question to defensive line. Um, again, one commitment already, room for more. Realistically, what, what is the number you think Oregon will hit, or what's the range that you that you expect they'll take for linebacker in 2021? Um, probably right around the same as D line. You know, it could be three, could be four if if the fourth guy is really good. 
Um, I don't, I don't envision them loading up with a, a ton of linebackers in this class because look at the depth chart and they only have two seniors on the roster, Samson New and Drew Mathis. Both of those guys are kind of projected to be second stringers for Oregon. Maybe one of them starts as early on in the year as Flo or Sue will get adjusted, but then I, I think eventually one of them overtakes that spot. They only have one junior on the roster that's at, at linebacker, and that's Isaac Slade. So, you know, Adrian Jackson is going to be a third-year sophomore. MJ Cunningham will be a third-year sophomore. Mace Funa is a second-year sophomore. Same thing with Jimon Eford. Andrew Johnson and Andrew Folly are both third-year sophomores. So there's not a lot of there's not a lot of room to add a guy to this position. So two, three, most realistically, maybe four if for some reason a guy that's just an absolute must-take calls and says he wants to come. And let's wrap up the position groups with the secondary. Um, names that they should know there at, at safety and corner. And, again, I'm not limiting you, Matt. If you have 12 names, give me 12 names. But uh, who, who you got? <laughs> there's three. I think first and foremost, and there's a lot of guys at this position that Oregon um, is recruiting and is in a good position. And so I'm going to leave off some names that people are going to go, well, what about this guy? He's high on Oregon. And that's true, but I, I just think there these guys have better probabilities of coming to Oregon. Sierra Wright, a four-star cornerback out of Loyola High School in Los Angeles, he's certainly going to be a player, You know, probably stays on the West Coast, a top 100 recruit. Oregon's in a good spot there. Hamir Johnson from John Muir High School in Pasadena. This is another guy that's high on Oregon, has size. Oregon likes the six foot, six foot one, six foot two corners. Um, Johnson could be leaning towards USC, but we'll see what happens there. I think I kind of debated on, on including Philip Riley, a four star. He's got Oregon in his top five out of uh, Florida, but I'm going to go with instead of him, DJ Harvey from Sierra Canyon, Chatsworth. Oregon's in a good spot here with Harvey as well. Um, you could maybe go Kari P as well, but like I said, you know, I I I think Gee being from the from the East Coast could make things difficult. Although he has visited here, and and he's looking at Clemson and LSU and Oregon, and maybe those schools fill up before he he commits and. Uh, Oregon gets in a good spot there for Gee, but I, I would take at defensive back those three guys. All of those are, are corners right now, and there's not really one guy I feel very confident about at safety outside of Gee that would warrant Oregon taking him. How many corners and how many safeties do you think Oregon takes? You look at the roster, and it's probably the position that has obviously the most seniors, but obviously a lot of depth as well. Is this a big need, this position group, or how do you see uh, corner and safety? Um, I think it's another one where they have a lot of seniors on the roster. They have, what, five or four? Four. Um, four seniors in, this, in, this, in between cornerback and safety. Um which normally would indicate you'd think, well, they've got to load up. But they've also got a ton of talent waiting in the wings. I mean, Michael Wright and Verone McKinley both look like superstars. Javon Holland technically is a junior, so he could, in theory, come back for his senior year, but probably not going to happen. Um, but they, they feel like – I feel like at every position, 
there is at least one guy at each spot that you feel like, hey, I've got some confidence in, in this guy being able to step up and produce. It might not be as good day one as his predecessor, but is is pretty good. Um, so I don't think there's a huge need for four, five, six defensive backs in this class. Maybe probably four is probably the sweet spot. Um, recruiting as a whole defensively is, I think, going to be secondary to the offensive side of the football because if you look in 2020, Oregon signed 12 defensive players plus one special teams guy in that class. And so I look at it as they, you know, they, they've got about 20 spots and they need to, they need more offensive players right now. And that's kind of reflective of the class as a whole right now. Seven McGee, Ty Thompson, Kenny Ware Hudson and Jackson Light are the other four commits and they're all offensive players. So defensively, I think this is going to be a smaller class. It's not going to be a split even, even it's probably going to shade a little bit more to the offensive side of the football. So at, at secondary, probably three to, to five spots, depending on what player wants to come play for Oregon. And let's wrap up the defensive discussion with this. And We've talked now about players that stand out for each position group. We've talked about maybe how many players Oregon might take at those position groups. How would you classify, I know we're looking way ahead here, but if we're fast forwarding to February when all of this class is finalized, what would have to happen for you to deem the defensive part of this class a success? And then on the flip side, what would happen so that you would deem it a failure? I think they need to find a pass rusher. I mean, it's, there's not a ton of um, weaknesses I look at or from Oregon's defense from a short-term and a long-term perspective. But I look at the defensive end spot and think, okay, we have Kayvon Thibodeau here. What else do they have? behind him that can be an elite pass rusher. I, I don't know. I think Mace Funa, Isaac Townsend, Trevin Mai are going to turn into Adrian Jackson, are going to turn into good players off the edge. I think that. I But I don't know for certain. I, I think Kayvon, is, his body type is significantly different than everyone else on the defensive end spot. Maybe a Braden Swinson or maybe a Jake Shipley show up and convince me otherwise. But I think finding an elite pass rusher off the edge, maybe that's Terrell Tillman, who just committed, is ideal. I think you need to continue to bolster the defensive line with one or two impact players. Finding some talent on the outside linebackers that can provide that pass rush as well. Um, And then, you know, it's a couple other answers, but I think those are probably the the ones I feel really confident about the future of the secondary. So I think it's just finding guys that you feel good about that can develop and be turned into players because Oregon has a ton of talent in the secondary. You could lose three starters from the 2020 team. And I still feel really good about that group. Um, so it's, it's primarily winning the job and finding elite playmakers in that front, that front group. And then maybe, and so on the flip side, I guess the failure would be if they don't address that, or, or I guess how would you? If, if yeah, you, like I, I mean, if they don't find like a defensive end prospect that, or some kind of pass rusher off the edge in this class, I get worried because then you don't have a year to develop him behind Kavon, and 
then you go into 2022 thinking, okay, who, maybe, maybe someone emerges on the roster, but I, I don't know. But I look at it as thinking like, Kayvon is such a difference maker for this defense and it, it, he's not going to be completely replaceable by one player, but you want to have options. And I don't know if they have anyone on the roster that's even close to a similar playing style that Kayvon is on the, on the current roster right now. So you want to find someone else that can kind of duplicate some of the things that he does for the year for, for two years when he moves on. All right. That's going to do it for us on the Austin Audible's podcast. Hopefully you guys enjoy this show. Uh, we will talk to you later this week with the mailbag. Send your questions to Eric or me. Uh, use the hashtag Austin Audible's and we will talk to you soon for Eric Scopel, myself, Matt Frame. You're listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Adios amigos. Ready? Go. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Hang on! It's off the chart spectacular. Go, go, go! Tom Cruise has outdone himself. The world's coming after you. Stay out of my way. Prepare for one of the best action movies ever made. This is getting exciting. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13.